today to bless his name. He is worthy. Amen. The book of Revelation, you saw him as the worthy lamb. Said no one else was worthy. A search was made throughout all of heaven and earth. He was the only worthy one. He's what made us worthy today through his blood. We have the forgiveness of sins and redemption. Amen. We want to go to prayer this morning. And um, as we do, we're remembering uh, the church there in the Happy Valley. Um, there, Brother Donnie Reagans, they've had to cancel the services there because of the flu that is going through the state of Tennessee and affecting their area. And I'll just tell you, whoever you are, wherever you are, if you're here, if you're watching in the service here in Louisiana or around the world, wherever you might be, you've got a need this morning. The Bible said he sent his word and healed them. Amen. And his word is here today for you that are here in this service to bring healing and deliverance. He's a mighty God, the Almighty. We're going to him this morning for the needs that are in the body. Let's just pray together now as we submit ourselves to God. Father, we're your children and we gather together in your name. And we thank you, Lord, that for these that have gathered with us today. Lord, both the seen group and the unseen that will be hearing or seeing by the way of the of the video or the internet. Lord, wherever they are around the world, God, I pray that you'll meet their needs, Lord. There's desperate needs from faraway lands. Just yesterday receiving a picture of a beautiful baby. Lord, the people calling out to God said, heal our baby, Lord. Calling for prayers of the saints because this little child's eat up with cancer we know the word of God you are the Lord God that heals all diseases we just pray in the name of Jesus that you'll spread out your arms of mercy today Lord that the son of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings and come on the wings of this prayer right to every home to every place to every person and bring deliverance in the name of Jesus we know, Lord, the mighty works and the acts of your power. Lord, we can testify and time would fail us of the many times that you have healed and delivered. You're God and you change not. And we're asking, Lord, that you'll just minister to the needs of your people today. Those that are here in the service, I pray that they will witness the very presence of God. It will sweep over this congregation. And sweep away doubt and fear and unbelief. And cause, Lord, our faith to rise in their hearts. Until their faith matches the promise for this hour. I ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. As we come to the word, Lord, today. I ask that you would anoint it. Anoint me as a speaker. But, Lord, as a speaker, may I be more than just getting up and intellectually saying things. May I be anointed by the Spirit of God. For it's anointing that breaks the yoke. We need the yoke of sin and unbelief broken in lives and hearts of people. 
Even in our lives, Lord, we want no hindrance of unbelief, no chains. Lord, you're here today, and I pray that you'll bless us now and cause us to come into your presence. It's in Jesus' name we ask it. Amen and amen. God bless you. Amen. Good to be in the house of the Lord today. We welcome you today in his wonderful name. Amen. And uh, we'll just turn to the scripture right now and look in there. I've got a few things I want to say as greetings, but I think I'll read the word first. Amen. I believe the word should have pre- preeminence and be a priority in our midst today. Amen. To give it honor that is due. So we, that's why we stand in honor to the reading of the word of God. Amen. We'll look at Matthew chapter 16 and verse 28. And then we'll read through the fifth verse of chapter 17, being this is the last verse of chapter 16. Verily I say unto you, that there be some standing here which shall not taste of death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. I believe that was true of a people 2,000 years ago when Peter, James, and John is caught up on a mountain and sees the kingdom coming. But I also believe that it speaks about a people here in this end time where Paul said, I show you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we shall be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. Amen. We're looking to that blessed promise of his appearing. Matthew chapter 17, verse 1. And after six days, notice these words, and we'll cover them later, but this would be after six, on the seventh, Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John, his brother, and bringeth them up into a high mountain apart, and was transfigured before them, and his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as the light, and behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elias, talking with them, and then answered Peter and said unto him, unto Unto Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If thou wilt, let us make here three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses, one for Elias. And while he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And behold, a voice out of the cloud which said, This is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. As you know, um, Brother Michael announced we will be having two services on Sunday uh, the 4th. We will be having um, a, Lord willing, a church dinner in between and have time of fellowship then come back together after our morning service for an evening service. And tentatively, we set that around 4 o'clock and that will be announced as we go along. But um, it'll be a service with communion and foot washing, amen, as we um, partake of the ordinances of the Lord. And we believe there were three ordinances left to us. One of them is water baptism, which we must be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then secondly, um, you know, communion, which was left unto us, an ordinance to remember the Lord's death till he comes. And then foot washing that also reminds us of of our purpose here in life, and that is a a life of servitude, of serving one another. 
And so these are ordinances that we follow. And um, so we will be doing that, God willing, this next Sunday uh, on the 4th. That's the first Sunday is what I'm referring to on the 4th. So look forward to that, a good time um, to be with the Lord and to fellowship with one another. Amen. It's good to be back again. We uh, want to report we had some wonderful meetings in Florida. Uh, had this, um, what Brother Ron Spencer and I spoke at Brother Danny Stevens' um, uh, anniversary meetings some years back. We dedicated that building to the Lord, and, and so uh, annually they have a remembrance of that anniversary service, and uh, this is, was it was our turn to come back. I say our turn because of invitation only. So um, we uh, got to go and be with the, that wonderful group down there that's uh, looking for the coming of the Lord there in Sarasota, Florida. And, and good to see their church prospering and moving on with God. Amen. We appreciate uh, Brother Danny Steeman and the work there and, and uh, bring back their love and greetings to you all. And, and uh, due to travel delays, as you know, there was um, a snowstorm came in here, and, and uh, Tuesday, Shreveport Airport was, was closed down the day we were returning home, so we uh, didn't get that notification until we were on the plane uh, leaving Sarasota, and so we discovered we would have to overnight in Atlanta. And so after the ordeal there, and then... Uh, the many delays the next day, we kind of got in uh, pretty late. So we wasn't with you on Wednesday night, but um, I was able to view the service with you and enjoy the, the uh, live streaming. We had a, it was a wonderful time hearing about what God's doing in the nation of Japan. And uh, as the message is going forth there, uh, I think it's very important that we, we have a vision that is outside our four walls. And uh, that we have a desire to see others saved, amen, filled with the Holy Ghost and prepared for the coming of the Lord Jesus. And uh, so right now, I think uh, the number is right around 20 that they're baptized. I just thought the brothers and Brother George, God bless you, y'all did just a wonderful report there. And we really appreciated you giving unto the Lord. And, you know, here's a man that's just caught a, a, a burden, not a minister, just one of the deacons in the church, and I, I don't say that lightly, just one of the deacons. No, he's, a, he's a, a real blessing to us here at this church, but um, we, we were more than happy to, to see him catch a vision of other places, and Timothy tells me what an integral part he is of the work there in Japan, and, and getting together, coordinating, setting up, and um, communicating with, with the believers, it's a... It's a, it's a mighty work that is being done. And, you know, every, every, every one of us have something we can do for God. Amen. And uh, maybe our call isn't to uh, go to Ecuador, but maybe it's to witness to the neighbor next door. Amen. Let everybody know that, that Jesus Christ is still God. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen. So what a wonderful thing today to be able to worship God together. Also, there, we're going to be having um, a, a youth service this next um, weekend, so keep that in mind for the young people and be praying about it. 
as uh, we'll be using um, the facilities here for, for that. Of course, we'll be having our regular service Sunday morning, but looking to the many things that God has in store for us this, this year coming up. Also have Brother Andrew Glover that'll be coming in, in February. Um, he'll be ministering a youth banquet that we'll also be having. And um, just uh, looking forward to an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Brother Andrew Glover, um, you know, was a young man, came to our youth camps back from years ago. God received the Holy Ghost uh, there at our youth camp and also met his wife at our youth camp. And, and so he's going to be ministering this year along with Brother Danny Steeman in our youth camp in over Easter. And down at Derrida, Louisiana, or Dry Creek. And so, um, you know, we, we got big things in store for us. I believe God's got great things ahead for us, don't you? Amen. So we're just looking forward to the things of God. And God bless you, each one. This morning, we uh, heard the youth, camp, uh, the youth choir sing, um, Faith Can Move That Mountain. And I'm going to be speaking this morning on Commission to Speak. I believe there's a people commissioned to speak to their mountains in this day. If you would look here, I would like to draw your attention here to this um, photograph we have on the wall here. I know I displayed this a Sunday or two ago. I didn't uh, speak about it a lot, but I just wanted to mention this. Um, this was a, a cloud, picture of a cloud that was photographed. On February the 28th, 1963, this was in the Life magazine of the May 17th issue um, that was published at that time. I have copies of that. But anyway, this um, is a cloud-like object that was photographed in the stratosphere. Now, this is, was a, a very mysterious even to science today. They do not have an explanation for this cloud. This cloud um, was... Um, was uh, some 27 miles high. It was in the um, stratosphere, and um, it was beyond where that moisture goes. And so it was not a cloud made out of moisture. It was not a cloud that can be explained by science today. They have no explanation for this. And, um, and uh, isn't it interesting that this mysterious cloud right here um, that it, it just, I'm going to say it this way, that it just so happened, as, as some would think, so happened to look like the head of Jesus looking down on our world. And, and it just so happened to be at the same location and at the same time, broadly speaking, that William Branham said that seven angels met him. And um, that they came in a constellation of seven angels and went up in a, in a pyramid form. And you can see even here, um, even on the right-hand side, the edge, one of, uh, one of this resemblance of an angel as, uh, this, as this cloud here was um, in the heavens. You all know that two months before this event, the William Branham told us of a vision that he was to be north of Tucson as he lived in Jeffersonville, Indiana at the time. And he received a vision where that seven angels would appear 
and they would have a message from God that there would be seven thunders or voices of God that had been sealed up in the word that are reserved for the end time. Now, you know, and um, I, I just think it's very phenomenal that these seven angels appeared on Mount Sunset as we face the, the setting sun upon the Gentile world that we live in today. It's amazing. It's absolutely supernatural that seven angels representing um, the, the whole Gentile dispensation that covers seven church ages and we being in the last and Laodicean age showing that we have now reached the pinnacle or the top, the finish of the Gentiles. We are the last, uh, should we, if we would look at the church Jesus said he would build, I believe that we are some of the last stones going into the building. That we're that close to the coming of the Lord. Now, we as a church, we believe in Calvary. We believe what Jesus did 2,000 years ago. We believe in the atoning blood of Jesus Christ. We believe of, the whole, of receiving the Holy Ghost that came down on the day of Pentecost. But we also acknowledge that we're not living 2,000 years ago at, at Calvary. But we're here at the end of the Gentile dispensations where the gospel is about to return to the Jews. And, and to do so, there has to be a rapture in the end time. And I believe that we are in the time of the coming of the Lord. And I believe that we are in the time where the book of Revelation that has been, has been spoke of in the Bible as the unveiling, the apocalypse, or the unveiling, the revealing of Jesus Christ, um, that, that it is the time to unveil the end time plan. This is where we're at in time. We are here at the end time. Amen. Now, and um, it just, um, it astonishes me to think, when I think of, of these seven angels, I know today people think of things, of angels and visitations and supernatural, that it's almost foreign to the ears of most of Christianity today because they have God, a God of history, a God of the past. Amen. And so they don't know him in present tense. They know of a historical Christ instead of a living personal Christ who reveals himself um, through his word. Now, we, but it astonishes me, as I said, when I think these seven angels had a message for us in this day that, that the voice of God that had been sealed up, according to Revelation 10, that had been sealed up with seven seals, that, that, um, that there would be those mysteries of God that were contained in those seven seals that would be open and would restore back to us the gospel of Jesus Christ in his purity without being closed up by denominations. Now, let me just say it this way. You know, it come a time when... In Paul's day that he could take the Bible and he says, now the Jews, Israel is reading this Bible with a veil on their face. Is that right? And he said, now this veil for us has been taken away by Christ. But he said for them, every time that Moses is read, they're reading it through a veil. 
They don't see what its meaning is. And this has been the problem in our day is that many people are reading the Bible, same Bible we read, the King James Version, but they're, they're reading it and they're, they're seeing it through a veil, through a veil of man's theology. And they, they, they see it. The Baptists can look in there and, and read the same Bible that you do and they will immerse but do it in titles. Amen. And, and that's really all of Christendom just about that is doing that. Just a minority, a very small minute minority when, when compared to the whole Christian world. So you see, it's, um, but what is it? They read it and every time they read it, they see three gods. Every time they read it, they're idolaters. Every time they read it, it's, there's a veil over their heart. And this veil was placed there by men's traditions. And this is what I'm talking about is that the book has been sealed with seven seals. And God promised to open the word back to us and restore the original faith, the gospel that Paul preached, back to the church again. And to do that, it would take it would take a prophet to do that because Amos 3 and 7 says that surely the Lord God will do nothing except he reveals his secrets unto his servants, the prophets. So this is God's way of doing it. He never ordained Bible schools. He never ordained theologians. God's way of bringing his word or, or bringing his word or revealing his secrets has always been through a prophetic ministry. And God promised that in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he would begin to sound his message, the mystery of God would be finished. That's where we're at. Now, I want you just to notice here as, as we look up at this cloud, that, that is it, it, because it, it represents all of the seven spirits of God, the seven angels, the seven spirits of God, which there's only one Holy Spirit, but he's been manifesting himself through seven different ages, all right? And so it's one spirit in seven manifestations. And so we, we know now that, that if the seventh age is here, then we have come to the complete. We have come to the finish line. We're here at the very end time where that prophecy is being now fulfilled. What a wonderful day we're living in. And, and I, I just want you to look at this. If this is a picture of Christ, if this shows a picture of Jesus, then let me just ask you, why is his wig white? Or why does, is his hair white? It's because that he is wigged. Amen. Just like the judges would do. They, a young man with, in the, with, with judges would wear a white wig to show authority and age and supremacy and, and authority. Is somebody with me now? So, so again, this, this would be why it, he would be showed with a, a white wig. Now, this is the Bible, Revelation chapter 1, verse 13. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one likened to the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girded about the paps with a golden girdle. And his head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire. Now, you know, this again shows us that we are in a day of change. 
It is a day of change. You can look this in the natural realm. And you can see in our day, in our times, in our grandparents' times, they came from horse and buggy all the way to astronauts. It's definitely a day of change. Medicine has made, it's a day of change for medicine. You went to a doctor in years past to die. You know, today they made many advances. I thought about my grandson, Andrew, and how the Lord miraculously brought him out of a, of a situation when he was born. Um, he was born without any surfactant in his lung. He was a little bit premature, and so his lungs would stick together. And, and this, this child survived. But in, 19, in the 1960s, J.F. Kennedy's son was born, the president of the United States, and they were unable to save him. It's because God has allowed advancements in science that, they, that a child that, you know, can I say it this way, a common person's child could be saved of what a president's child could not be saved from back in the 1960s. So it's a day of change. Everything that you're looking at and around, it's, it's a day of change. Now, notice the scripture this morning, after six days. Now, we have come down to the last days, and the last days is, is the seventh church age. This is laid out in the book of Revelation, in, in chapters one through three. And, and there was seven days now, in this event that we read about on Mount Transfiguration, that was recorded in Matthew chapter 16, and we're not going to read it all, but we did read a verse from there. And the events of chapter 16 is where Jesus asked the disciples, who do men say I, the Son of Man, am? And um, it was then that Peter received revelation that as to who Jesus was, because some had said, you're Jeremiah, and some had said, you're um, Elias, or one of the prophets. But he said, but who do you say that I, the Son of Man, am? And Peter answered, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus told us, on this rock, on the revelation of who I am, on the revelation of my deity, my messiahship, he said, I'll build my church. And every believer must be built upon the rock of revelation of Christ personally to them. Amen. It's not simply knowing about who Jesus was. Oh, well, he was um, a child born of a virgin and raised up and died at 33. And his, here's his history. We're not talking about who Jesus was. We're talking about the revelation of Christ personally to you. That's where the church is built. It is built on personal revelation that you got a revelation yourself of who Jesus is. Amen. That he's not, he's not one God out of three. Come on. But he's here, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one Lord. Amen. He, he is not He's not just a, a, a man. No, he was the God man. He was not just a prophet. He was the God prophet. He was not just the, the, the mighty God. He was the almighty God. Amen. He was not just Alpha, but he's Omega. He is the beginning. He's the end. And when you get a revelation that he's your Savior, amen, that he's your God, when you get a personal revelation of him, that's 
the Holy Ghost. Amen. That's where Christ comes to live in you. Amen. And that's where you must be built. If you're not built on that solid rock foundation, I'll tell you the trials will come, the storms will come, and you will be washed away. Amen. And the fault of the church today, amen, is that people are not getting built on that, that personal revelation of Christ. It's okay that you know daddy believed this or mama believed that or granddaddy believed this, but you must know. It comes down to the point, this is what others said. This is what granddaddy said. This is what the pastor said. This is what we've been taught. This is what I was taught from the cradle. But who do you say that I the son of man am? And that is upon this rock is where I build my church. Anything else will be washed away when the trials come, when the tests come. And believe me, they will come. Amen. Questions will come. Doubts will come. Storms will come that will sweep you away. And if you don't have a personal revelation, you won't stand. Amen. Now, so who do men say I am? You know, it doesn't really matter who others say he is. Who do you say? What is your personal revelation? It was then that Peter, uh, in turn, when he said, Thou art the Christ, then Christ told him who he was. Because when you get a revelation of who Jesus is, personally to you, he, in turn, reveals to you who you are. And I say to you that thou art Peter. And Peter means a little stone. And he said, and on the rock of the revelation of who Christ is, the deity of Christ, I will put you on that and build a church on that revelation. Amen. Now, so, so there again, who do you say? What is your personal revelation? It was then that Peter was identified as a rock to go in that building. Christ was the foundation stone, but he was a rock to go in there. And when you get a revelation of Christ, he'll reveal to you, you're part of my building. Amen. And he'll place you in that body. Are you with me now? Now, we've been speaking on the revealing of the Son of Man, and it's in this 17th chapter is where Jesus is revealed as the Son who is commissioned to speak. Notice He says, this is my beloved son. Hear him. It is here on Mount Transfiguration that God is saying, hear this one. He's my voice. Hear this one. He has my message. Hear this one. This is my son. This is my offspring. This is me manifested. Hear him. Now, we have covered some scriptures and types to show that Old Testament, the Old Testament was a prophecy that was to be fulfilled. We could go through all, all kinds of examples of that. But we, we've also pointed out that the New Testament is also a prophecy that must be fulfilled. Again, what sets us apart is We do not believe that this Bible is just a book of history. 
We believe that this Bible is an unfolding prophecy. Amen. Amen. That even today the word is alive. Amen. And the word is unfolding itself. As we go along, as we move down through, through time and headed toward to, to that event where we'll be translated in a moment in a twinkling of an eye that we are here fulfilling prophecy. We could go back and you say, well, uh, we think that the church will go through the tribulation. It's impossible because the type, the prophecy shows we will be raptured out before tribulation. But you say, but Noah went through the tribulation. Yes, but there was an Enoch, the seventh from Adam. Amen. Who took a rapture before Noah went through the tribulation. Yes, we agree. There will be a multitude without number who will go through the tribulation. Who will, who will actually be here when the plagues are poured out upon the earth. And the great tribulation judgment strikes the earth. Are you with me now? Amen. But before that happens, there's a bride rapture. Amen. We can look at another type and we can see Abraham. And Abraham, we, we see him and, and Sarah changed in order to receive the promised son. So how do you know that? Well, because the Philistine king, after the visitation of Elohim there in Genesis 18, the Philistine king wants to marry Sarah. A 90-year-old woman, there had to be a change take place. Come on, she had an old heart, she had an old body, she had an old womb, and it all had to be changed in order to receive the promised son. And before we can meet Jesus in the air, we gotta be changed. Amen. Amen. But you know, there was a lot also that was down there, Lot and his daughters that were down there in Sodom that was saved out during tribulation. Amen. But at the same time, there's an Abraham that wasn't anywhere close, anywhere near the burning. And yeah, the world will burn, and there will be peoples, there will be people that are pulled out of the tribulation period, but not the bride. We escape the things that are coming on the earth. How do we know that the prophecy said so? Now, it's unfolding as we speak. And so the New Testament also is a, a you know, the New Testament was a fulfillment of the Old Testament. But yet, it goes even beyond that. We're not through with the fulfilling. We are in the fulfillment of the time where God said, I will build, Christ said, I will build a church. And now he's finishing a church. He would give ministry, he said, until we all come to the unity of the faith, to the knowledge of the Son of God, to the stature of the measure of the fullness of Christ. Isn't it amazing that he would promise that there would be a people come to the fullness? Amen. I hope I ain't preaching to sleeping virgins this morning. Amen. If I am, may this wake you up. Stir you up just a little bit and make you realize, hey, we're in a time of fulfillment. Now, just quoting from this, the masterpiece where aware that 2,000 years, God has again been making a masterpiece because he struck Adam to get a piece off of him, a part of him, a rib to make a wife for him. And now that, that perfect masterpiece that he struck at Calvary, he got a piece off of him. 
It's the New Testament. That's all. He fulfilled the Old Testament. But now it's the New Testament. Another piece to be fulfilled. See, the, the New and Old Testament is husband and wife, see. And it took the old to foreshadow or foreshow the new. Christ came as the masterpiece to fulfill that. And now his bride will fulfill everything that's in the New Testament. Another masterpiece is in the making. And I believe that's where we're at, where God is bringing forth a masterpiece. One he can look like Adam did and say, oh, she's bone of my bone. She's flesh of my flesh. She's life of my life. She's power of my power. Everything that I am, she is. This is me reproduced in female form. Are you with me now? Now, I'd like you to turn with me to Romans chapter 8 and verse 17 for a scripture reading. And the song leaders drank up all the water. And so Romans 8 and verse 17 And if children, then heirs, the heirs of God, and join heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, we may be also glorified together. So he speaks of a time where the church will be glorified. Amen. That just as he was glorified, she will be glorified. Are you with me now? So he says, and, and, and let me just clarify that or, or just make this statement. What makes the church glorious is to be united with Christ. Amen. This is what sets us apart from the world. Is being, is being united with Christ. That's what makes the church glorious. Without Christ, she's a morgue. Without the Holy Ghost, we might as well close our doors and go home. We just got a form of godliness with no power. Come on, church. Amen. So our real glory is being united with Christ. Look at Rahab in the type, formerly a harlot. But her glory was being united with Simon, who was there, a general. Amen. And through the marriage, he elevated her into an honorable position until she became one of the mothers of Jesus Christ. And I'm telling you today, it's the same thing. It is your union with Christ that elevates you. Amen. That lifts you up into a higher rank. Amen. That you can be called the bride of Jesus Christ. Are you with me now? This is important that you, you recognize that our glory has to do with our union. Without him, we're nothing. Without him, we're lost. Without him, we're hopeless. Amen. But it's, in, it's when a woman becomes a bride that she comes into her glory. Amen. It's, it's her day of glory. Come on. And we're here coming to the marriage of the Lamb. It's the day of glory for a bride, for a people, for a elect. Yes, she was an infant starting out on the day of Pentecost. And she moved down through the dark ages and come up through Wesley and Luther. But we're here at the end time. And it's the day of glory. Hallelujah. It's a day 
scene where the bride must be glorified and she's glorified by being united with Christ the bridegroom, the head, the word. She's not united with creeds. She's not united like they're doing today with the World Council of Churches. She's not united with the Federation of Churches. That's not her glory. I'm in charismatic realm today, which is an offshoot of the 1906 movement. In the charismatic realm, they are, they are boasting and joyful and prideful and happy and think their glory is being united and accepted by the Pope. That is not our glory. Our glory is because we have a headship. And that headship is the word of God. Amen. That is our glory. Amen. Now, verse 18, for I reckon the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. This is the day of the revealing of his glory. And the sufferings, whatever you're going through, the problems you're facing, nothing is worthy to be compared to that moment when he takes his bride home. I say, what a day that'll be. That ought to be our breath, our life, that moment, our focus on that one thing. Let me say it again. The reason why there's marriage problems is because people have forgot what our purpose is. The reason why there's rebellion in in young people and parent delinquency is because people have forgot the calling we've been called to. We have been called to live a higher calling than the cannon fodder that will be left here for the burning. We have been called for a meeting in the air. Amen. And when your focus leaves him, then every kind of thing happens. Every kind of sin begins to come in. Every kind of trouble begins to happen. In fact, the matter is you have no trouble as long as Jesus is going with you. Trouble, and real trouble is when you leave Jesus. Amen. For he goes on to say, for the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation, that again is the apocalypse or the revelation of the sons of God. So he said, all of creation is groaning. It's travailing. We see the trees dying. We see plagues coming. We see problems happening. You know, I just heard from Brother Wayne Lawson of a, of a distant relative, but a boy that he went to school with of his And a young man that was a grandson of a pastor that I knew many years ago. And and here at about 43 years old, he gets the flu and dead in just a few hours. Our whole world is groaning. Michael Dexter leading the songs today, you know, trying to put aside his tiredness. But waking up all hours of the night from the hospitals because they're having to divert people from their hospital because there's overflow. And then finally until there's no, there's no hospitals that can take the sick 
the wounded, the needy. We're living in an awful day where there's a lot of groaning going on. The whole world is groaning. We look in our politics. You can't find a righteous man anywhere. You look in the world politics and there's threatens of every kind of bomb and destruction and everything else that is going on. What is it? The world is in travail. The world is about to give birth to a new world. Amen. The birth pains are upon it. But also there is the manifestation or the revealing or the coming forth of the sons of God. And that's the age that we're living in. It's the day of adoption. It's the day of the final race. It is the day of, the, of where the prize is won. It is the day where the marriage of the Lamb takes place. This is an awesome hour. You're a privileged people to be called to it. It's the revealing of sons. This word manifestation is, as I said, is in the Greek apocalyptu, which is the same thing as the revelation of Jesus Christ, what the book of Revelation is named from. The revelation of Jesus Christ, the apocalyptu, the unveiling. This is where God unveils his masterpiece. This is where God takes her and lifts her on high and says, this is her. And away he goes with her. This is my chosen. This is my beloved. This is my people. This is my elect. And the world goes on in oblivion, even knowing what it did, without even knowing and realizing what has taken place. Oh, you say, oh, no, Brother Tim, when Jesus comes, there's going to be car wrecks and, you know, and, and, and our cars will be pilotless and there'll be holes in the ceiling in the White House where people, the president went up and everybody else, you know, that says they're born again, you know, the car wrecks everywhere. That's not his coming. Amen. The Bible said he comes as a thief in the night. Amen. The Bible, you say, whatever I will see him, that's when he comes back with the church. But when he comes for his church, it's a secret catching away. Amen. And, and there he reveals a secret to a people. I'm coming back for you. And that ought to be the revelation that's in every heart. He told me he would return. He told me he's coming back for me. He told me he would leave me for the tribulation. He told me I'm coming back for you. I'm not going to leave you here, but I'm taking you away. It's called a rapture, a catching away. They will be caught up to meet him in the air. That word comes from harpazu, which means a catching, a snatching away. Amen. Right at the last moment. Before Satan becomes full king of the earth, he takes a people home. Our message is not just about his first coming. Our message is about his second coming. Certainly if he had not come 2,000 years ago, there would be no one to come for here. But now we are here, not in history, but in time. Where the same Jesus that we saw go away will come in like manner. 
as he said. Now, the revealing of sons. 2,000 years ago, that was the revealing of the Son of God. It was the revealing of his purpose of redemption. And his purpose of coming was that he might bring forth many sons. And when bringing forth them sons, elevating them to sonship. To bring them into full air with Christ. Now, that's what our message is about. That's what the scene reveals in Revelation 5 that we often talk about of the Lamb, the kinsman redeemer, taking the book and taking off its seals. It's revealing sons. It's revealing that Christ, as a man, owns the book of title to the earth and to us and has taken possession, has now taken possession of the title to the earth. You know why he's doing it? You know why he comes to take the book? Is because he's about to take the throne. The millennial throne. He's about to wipe the earth off with a great burning and come back with ten thousands of his saints. And it said, I see him coming with ten thousands of his saints. It's revealing. As I said, Christ, as a man, owns the book of title and has taken possession of his deed. Jesus won it for, as a man and now opens it to man. Once it is open, it is shows in Revelation 10 that this open book can now be eaten and digested but only by sons. And once digested, you are to speak it or to prophesy again. I want to get it to you. This word, this message is for speaking. Amen. It's not just something to put on your shelf. It's not something to collect dust. Amen, it's not just some creeds of man and ideas of man. It's to be eaten, to be digested. And it's more than just eating and digesting and you getting fat on it. It's for you to use it, to speak it. Now, you are to prophesy again according to the Bible. The events of chapter 16 that we read in Matthew it was, reveals um, that Jesus thought it was necessary that his disciples understood his commission and his call and to know who he was. He foretells that his church would be built on the revelation of who he is. And upon this rock, I will build my church. And he has been building now for till we are now after six church ages in the seventh. And here in the last church age, he brings a group of believers or disciples to the mount, to the speak, to the peak. We, we have come to the pinnacle, to the finish line, to the height of where he has been building his church. And I just say what we, what we read in the Bible again is not an event. Not just an event.
understand in history. It is a prophecy. And that's where we have come. We're here on the Mount of Change. There was a transition taking place in that day, a change. It was at the pinnacle of the change where Jesus would be glorified before them. In order to be glorified, fully glorified, he must fulfill what was written of him. How many knows what was written of Jesus? Amen. God had a purpose and a plan. Amen. His role was to face death for us. If you read Luke chapter 9, Moses and Elijah speak to him a message. I'm not making this up. This is in the Bible. And he tells him about his role and his purpose in life. Amen. The Bible said that they tell him of his decease that he would experience at Jerusalem. They point him to the cross. Now, this is really important because, you see, his role was to face death for us. But our role is to escape death. Come on now. Amen. Why? Because he faced it for us. And he conquered both death, hell, and the grave. Hallelujah. And we here are again on a mountain at the pinnacle, at the top, at the finish, at the capstone. We're at the peak. There's no more ages. There's no more time God's going to deal with the Gentiles. We're out of time. Oh, I wish I'd have brought to you a picture. But when Mr. Trump announced that he was moving, moving the um, uh, embassy of the United States to recognize Jerusalem, the next morning around the Wayland Wall were thousands of Jewish people. And there everyone singing in victory. Everyone of them are singing before, before it's even done, before it's even moved, before the, the transition's even finished. They're gathering there and they're rejoicing. Because they see a promise being fulfilled in their eyes. And I say to you today, when we look at the events of the scripture, it ought to cause a rejoicing in our hearts. Because we see a fulfillment. We see a prophecy coming into manifestation. It ought to make us shout. Aren't you glad that your children are not going to have to live on in this Sodom world? Listen, when I get into news this week, some of the brothers send me a link. Whether they are, were they in California, it is now mandatory by law that in the schools that they teach the children that you can choose whatever sex you want to be. And they go through the storybooks 
And they, they want everybody to know this is acceptable, this is okay, this is wonderful, this is fine. We should accept it. You know, and they're preaching, uh, they're preaching to these kids and programming their little minds for perversion. And you think it's wrong that we're here in the church and we're getting, we've got not a storybook but a real book and we're trying to tell young people amen, there's a real God, there's a real Holy Ghost, there's a real power of God. Hallelujah. And that we're teaching young ladies to be ladies, young men to be men and that when you get the Holy Ghost, come on now. Amen. It'll make a man a real man and a woman a real woman. The way God made you. Come on, somebody. Amen. This perversion that we're living in in this age, it's swallowing up our nation because it is Sodom and Gomorrah. But I tell you, in the day of the Sodom and Gomorrah, there was a revealing of the Son of Man to Abraham and to Abraham's group. The word was revealed about their change. About the coming of the sun. It's in the prophecy. If you can see that prophecy, why don't you see this prophecy? If all you see is what's on the news, you're going to be discouraged. You've got to get your eyes on the real news. That other is fake news. It's coming to an end. Satan's kingdom will come to its end. Are you with me? Amen. But we, we, are, we are at a place where we have reached the top. The top, here on that mountain, there was the dead, Moses. There was Elijah, the raptured saints. There was Christ glorified. Amen. There was the fulfillment of the law, Moses, and the prophets all on a mountain. You see, you see, we, we reach the top where the dead in Christ, the dead in Christ will appear and mingle with the saints who are to be raptured. Brother, you need to keep your eyes on the promise. Those loved ones that we put away, they're not forgotten and they're not gone. There is alive in, the, in that other dimension. Come on. Amen. You know, I see it sometimes, you know, uh, my, my mother's having her birthday in heaven. Friends, where she's at, there is no birthdays. They're forever young. Amen. Old age is done away with. Are you with me? Amen. They're, they're not celebrating getting older because of sin. That's why we get older. That's why we age. That's why we die. It's because of the original sin. And they're not celebrating because of the original sin. They're celebrating because of the original Savior. Hallelujah. And they never have another birthday. They're forever 21 or 18. We're at the top. We're at the finish. We're just as Jesus fulfilled the law and the prophets. We fulfill the seven ages. Brother Branham told us the reason there were seven angels that came. 
He said it showed that all the seven church ages are finished. That we have reached the last one. There's not another to come after this. The reason that was Moses and, 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 and Elijah was because they were the complete representative of the Old Testament. The reason of seven angels because they're the complete representative of the seven spirits of God for seven ages. And after six days, the seventh church age, from the revelation of Jesus, who he is, his name, his salvation, his deliverance, his purpose, and that he would build a church, and the keys to the kingdom would, give, would be given. And now we have come through Ephesus, Smyrna, right down through Sardis, right into Philadelphia, over into Laodicea. We have reached the end. Amen. We have come to the end time. So Brother Tim, this scares me for you to preach about the coming of the Lord. It ought to be the greatest thing that the church could ever long for and rejoice in is that Jesus is coming back for me. This is his promise. I will not leave you here. Glory to God, I'm taking the people out of here. That ought to be what we rejoice about. In the seventh age, Christ to be glorified again in his church who will not see death but be changed, be transfigured. Now Paul tells us in his second coming that he will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. Somebody help me preach now. The revelation of Christ in the last day will, will be with his mighty angels. Amen. He will cast the world into tribulations, a time where there's wrath and vengeance that is poured out upon the earth. I'd like you to turn with me to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. We'll look at the third verse, if you will. Let's just see scripture for this. We are bound to give to thank God always for you, brethren, as it meet because that your faith groweth exceedingly, and the charity of every one of you all toward each other aboundeth. Isn't that beautiful? So that we ourselves glory in you in the churches of God for your patience and your faith and all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure, which is a manifest token of the righteous judgment of God that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you also suffer, seeing it is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation. That means to pay back tribulation to them that trouble you. Now the church has been troubled even down to the dark ages, persecuted, despised, Killed, murdered. Amen. Even to this time, you're despised, rejected, just like Christ was rejected. You're the oddball of the bunch. The people that are made fun of, ridiculed. You know what I'm saying? Your sisters bear a lot of ridicule because you model, you model 
the bride of Jesus Christ rather than the whore of Hollywood. You men model Jesus Christ in your house, in your home. You're displaying Christ to a generation at work, wherever you are. You're displaying his headship, his holiness, his purity. Amen. Are you with me now? But he said, it is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation. Now let's get back to Eastern cultures. If, a, if an Eastern man welcomed you into his home, as long as you were in his home, he would allow no enemy to touch you. It was a righteous thing with him. You were under the protection of his home. You know that even in the Arabs and their Eastern cultures, you know, when they welcome a stranger into their home, he's under their protection until they release him. Now, I want you to get something. With God, it's a righteous thing because he is not only kinsman redeemer, but he is also kinsman avenger. That means... In the Old Testament, it was eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. You knock out my brother's tooth, I get to knock out your tooth. You kill my brother, I'm his kinsman, as near as kinsman, I'll kill you. Life for life. Now, to the abortionists of this age, he thinks there's nothing wrong with abortion. It was so in the Bible. If you, if you, if you struggled with a woman and killed her child, it was life for life. So God considered it life. You caused the baby to abort and die, it was your life for that baby, life for life. They had cities of refuge where they could run to. And because they could run from the avenger, get into the city of refuge, and it would be decided whether it was an accident or whether it was done willfully. If it was done willfully, you were, you were set outside and the avenger killed you. He had a right to slay you, life for life. If it was decided it was accidental, then you accidentally knocked your neighbor's tooth out. And then, well, then, then you know, it was decided you could remain in the city of refuge. Aren't you glad there's a city of refuge today? There's Christ that we can run into. But let me just say with God, it is a righteous thing with God to pay back tribulation to them that trouble you. I'm just going to tell you something. The devil ain't getting by with nothing. All the trouble, all the pain, all the suffering, everything that he did to you, he's going to get it back. Because there is no city of refuge for him. Come on, church. Amen. But he will find his place in the lake of fire. Are you with me? Even there, he will suffer for a thousand years being bound for a thousand years to be loose for a short season. And then his end will be the lake of fire. Let me tell you something. I'm putting you on notice, devil, that is tormenting God's people. You will get it. Because it's a righteous thing with my kinsmen to pay back. What you did to the sons and daughters of God. 
Amen. It's a righteous thing. Now, this is why there's going to be a great tribulation ahead. Actually, the Bible talks about seven vials. These are bowls of judgments that are stored up that God pours out in the end time because God remembers. He pours it out on the beast, the great whore, her daughters, that whole, that whole beast system. He pours it out in the great tribulation. So you see, you know, and, and I just want to say, you are right on the edge. Can I get it to you? The tribulation starts the moment the bride leaves. He pulls her off the earth so he can plague the earth. He takes her into Goshen, which is the marriage supper of the Lamb. He puts her in a place where no plagues are being poured out and she's protected while he curses the earth. While he rains down judgment on Satan's kingdom. It's a horrible thing what lays ahead for this earth. They ain't getting by with nothing. Now, there has been no hour like this hour that we're right on the cusp of where he will recompense tribulation to the world. The Bible calls it the great tribulation. And to you who are troubled, how many of you have been troubled? How many of you can say, I've been the object of his torment, of his torture, of his attacks? Maybe some of you, he's attacked your home or attacked your body or attacked you whatever way that it is. He ain't getting by with nothing. Amen. Are you troubled today? Amen. I hope you ain't at home in Satan's kingdom. Satan's eating. But you're troubled on every hand. Amen. Adversity's coming on every hand. Tribulation coming against you by the enemy on every hand. Are you troubled this morning? There ought to be those, according to the Bible, that sigh and cry for the sins that are being done everywhere, that it makes them sick. Amen. That they say, oh God, Lord Jesus, come quickly. And you are troubled. Oh my. Rest. Rest with this. Have you been attacked by the devil? Have sickness come into your home? Is sickness come into your body? Amen. You've been troubled. Well, I'll tell you, rest on this. When the Lord Jesus, when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. And you're living in that day and the hour where God has revealed himself to a people in this last day with his mighty angels. This is the time that Satan gets his payback. Amen. This is a time where even your bodies has been your chains, been your prison. Amen. Will be opened and you will be released. What? Inflaming fire taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. And I want you to notice this verse. When he shall come, 
to be glorified in his saints. Now, 2,000 years ago, he was glorified in his son. But in this last day, he has been glorified in his saints. Hallelujah. This, this is where he's glorified and to be admired in all them that believe. Because of our testimony among you was believed in that day. In other words, that the testimony, our testimony, the gospel that Paul preached was believed. Because you have come back to Paul's gospel. Because the word has been restored to you. Hallelujah. He has come to be glorified in you. In his church. The New Testament prophecy shows that we'll be led to a high mountain apart. Taking some to a place where they will not see death, but to see the kingdom coming in power. You say, Brother Tim... But wait a minute, maybe wait a minute, Brother Tim. If, if, if I go by the way of the grave, did I miss it? No, you didn't miss nothing. But a lot of heartache down here on the earth. Amen. Well, you got to go home for a little while to come back again, but you're going to be right at this place. You'll be gathered together. Come on. There was Moses and Elijah appeared there on the mountain. Amen. We're here where, where, where again the dead in Christ and the raptured saints appear together. They're both there. You didn't miss nothing. In fact, the matter is, you get, you get to go ahead of us and rise first. You get your change before we get it. There's some of these that are preaching, you know, well, if you go by the way of the grave, you didn't have the revelation. That's nonsense. You wasn't worried. That's a lie. Amen. They were the word of God. They were displayed in the hour they lived in, and they will be there. Before you get there. Amen. Where? Do you see the kingdom come in power? Unto a high place. Here's the height. The apex. The maturity. The capstone. The climax. You will not see the change until the church reaches its maturity. Its height. Until she becomes the word just as he is the word. Until she reaches the statue, here's the full height, the statue of the fullness, of the, me- the measure of the fullness of Christ. Somebody that matches him. This is Bible. And Jesus said, I'm building a church. He was a foundation stone. But there has to be those who see the finish. Amen. I hope I have time for this. If not, I'll just go into overtime. But anyway, Zechariah 4 and 1, I'd like to read some Bible to you. Let's just look here. Because Zechariah actually sees a similar scene, actually the same scene as what is shown in Revelation chapter 1, where there are seven golden candlesticks and all of these things. Notice now. The angel that talked with me came again and waked me as a man that is wakened out of his sleep. Now, he was already awake, but he needed an awakening. Come on. He wasn't sleeping physically, but he needed an awakening to see the supernatural. 
Somebody with me? Here you are this morning. Your eyes are wide open. At least 99% of you, a few of you are sleeping. But the rest of you, you got your eyes open. Amen. But there needs to be an awakening to see what is in our midst. Amen. Now, and he said he woke me up to make me see into the supernatural realm. And that's what I'm trying to do. By preaching these things is get you to see God's doing something in this hour. Amen. Prophecy is being fulfilled all around you. Wake up. And I looked. And he said to me, what do you see? Or what seest thou? And I said, I looked and behold a candlestick all of gold with a bowl upon the top of it and the seven lamps thereon and seven pipes to the seven lamps which are upon the top thereof and two olive trees by it. One on the right side of the bowl and the other on the left side thereof. And I answered and spake to, to the angel that talked with me saying, what are these, my Lord? Now he's awake and he sees something, but he don't know what it is. He needs it revealed to him by the angel. Listen, there's been things laying in the Bible for years and years and years and years. Amen. That we can read Yeah, we see it, but we don't know what it means. But there comes a time that there comes an understanding. And that's where you're at. The time of the understanding. All right, now. And the angel talked with me, said, no, it's not what these be. And I said, no, my Lord. And he answered me, what you're seeing here is the word of the Lord. And the word of the Lord was, uh, was, was shown in seven candlesticks or seven lampstands with seven fires, which we will see are, have, are seven eyes or the seven spirits of God. And so when he, uh, he gets awakened, he begins to see things he wasn't able to see before, before the angel touched him. I don't know about you, but I've been touched by an angel. Amen. There's been a message that woke me up, made me realize there are things that are happening in this age that are pertaining to my time, that we're not just, we just don't have a historical book and preaching a historical Christ. We're talking about a Christ who is now the lamb, taking the book, loosening the seals, has brought us right down to the end age. And he says, this is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit. It won't be by man's ability. This ain't coming by theologians. Come on. You ain't going to get it in Matthew Henry. You're not going to find it even in in some of these these other great writers that have been theologians down through history and time. But what it will be, a revelation by my spirit. There's some people that the spirit of God is speaking to. Are you with me? Amen. By my spirit. Now, so we look and we see seven golden candlesticks. Compare that with Revelation 1. We see there are seven church age angels and are seven spirits of God. We see the same pillar of fire that lit the first age, has lit the second age, has lit the third age, and lit the fourth, the fifth, the sixth, and now the seventh candlestick has been lit. And the light, the whole glory of the word comes into view. The whole plan of redemption 
revealed to an end time people. We see the same message that Paul preached at Ephesus is the same gospel that must be preached in Laodicea. Amen. We see mountain moving faith then that will cause words to come forth from the elect. Now here we come. And verse 7, And who art thou, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel thou shalt become a plain. And he shall bring forth the headstones, the headstone thereof with shouting and crying, Grace, grace. Oh, look here, look here. Well, I want you to look at this. There's a mountain being moved before this end time people. Come on. That Zerubbabel is only prophesying of. Here he's building a temple and restoring a temple. We're coming to restoration. Amen. Where the word is being restored. You say, Brother Tim, we've had a Bible for years and years. Yeah, we've had a Bible look through denominational glasses. They didn't know whether God was one, two, or three, or this, that, and the other. But God in this day is unveiled. Amen. Open up that word to an end time people. And I say, who are you, O great mountain? Amen. Who are you, great O unbelief that has bound Sarah and kept her barren for all of these 2,000 years? There is a church that is conceiving. There is a people that are being changed. There are people that are being empowered. Oh, you great mountain before Zerubbabel, thou shalt become a plain, and he shall bring forth the head stone. And he's going to be shouting God's favor. This is nothing but God's grace. Grace, grace. God's favor, God's favor. It's his favor upon you. Amen. Come on, this is the angel coming to Mary and saying, Oh, you're highly favored of the Lord. You've been chosen for a purpose, for a plan, for an end time. You have been called to this last day. You have not been called to be cannon fodder. You young people are not called to be teenage idols. You are called to, to, to manifest Jesus Christ and demonstrate him in this last day. Christ in a body. Christ in a young man. Christ in a young woman. A people that sin has no power over. Unbelief cannot hold them down. Who hath despised? Well, let's go to verse 9. The hands of Zerubbabel has laid the foundation of this house, and his hands will finish it. What I've started, I'm going to finish. And thou shalt not know that the Lord of hosts has sent me unto you. Who hath despised the day of small things? Oh, this ain't happening in the, in the one billion Catholic church members. The Pope ain't ringing this out today. No, who has despised the day of small things? For they shall rejoice when they see the plumb line. The plummet in the hand of Zerubbabel with those seven. They are the seven eyes of the Lord. Amen. And everything's got to, to line up with that complete word of God. The plumb line is laid to the house. And God says, it's going to be finished. Now, let's just go along just a moment. Because... Let's go to, just go back to our scripture reading, Matthew 17, 3. 
And behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elias. Here's the fullness of the Old Testament. He's talking with them. But now, in the last days, there's not a law and a prophet, two of them. There's seven church age angels. Seven spirits of God. Seven anointings from the throne. From one Holy Spirit. Spirit for every age. And so now seven angels appear in a cloud. Representing we have now come to the fullness of the New Testament. For he will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. Seven angelic spirits of God who were before the throne. Look, look here um, in verse 4. Then answered Peter and said unto Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. Let us make here three tabernacles, one for three, one for thee, one for Moses, one for Elias. So even while all of this is happening, there's some of these that are trying to do kingdom building. Come on. Right in the midst of it, we're going to have kingdom builders all the way down to the end. But while he yet spake, God interrupted all of that. And he said, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And behold, a voice out of the cloud and said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased, who I dwell in. Hear ye him. Now we come down to the end of the law and prophets. Now here we come to the fullness of it all. Hear him. Not only am I pleased to dwell in them. Here we come to the last day. Not only am I pleased to dwell in a people. But hear them. They now become my voice. You see. The bride under her messenger is the final voice to the final age. There comes a time where he says, we're here. It's time for her to speak. Hear her. Now is the day for the sons of God to be revealed. Now is the day for them to be manifested. Now, we've read of the groom coming of Christ. This day is the bride coming of Christ. Where that the Christ who lived in Jesus of Galilee is now living upon the earth in a multi-membered body from every kindred, tongue, tribe, and nation and people. Christ is here. Let me just say it to you. Yes, we're going to meet him in the air, but Christ is here now. Amen. And he is the same in every detail. He is overcoming and defeating the devil but he's not doing it in the body called Jesus of 2,000 years ago. He's here in the body of Jesus called the bride. Amen. So what the groom does, so does the bride. Somebody help me now. Now this is what, this is what he said. This is my offspring. He identifies who is his by his appearing. He's identifying who his son is. By his appearing, by his voice. Are you with me? Now, that's what God did with Adam. Adam was the offspring, and, and God made him, and, and that made him the ruler of the earth, and Adam was commissioned to speak. 
In Genesis chapter 2, verse 19, that it, the Bible said that he brought all the animals to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. So Adam was created in God's image, and Adam spoke. Whatever he said, whatever he called their name, that was the name. Come on. We come down to another name and time in this day where God names in the book of mystery. You know, a book of mystery is written. Somebody with me? And when you write a mystery book, because when you get down to the end, it's where the, the characters are revealed. Amen. So in the first stage, we didn't know who that white horse rider was. Looked like Christ. But found out it was a deceiving spirit who morphs into a red horse rider with a sword and begins to kill with persecution. And then what does he do? He comes there with the dark ages, with the black horse. Comes down to the pale horse rider, which is poised to ride now. And his name is Death. But they all get named at the end time. The beast is named. The false prophet is named. The whore is named. Her daughters are named. The Antichrist is named. Amen. Amen. Everything is named. Listen, the seven stars are named. The messengers are named. They're all named. Everything gets named and placed. Hallelujah. Why? Because we come back down to the end. That was, Adam was the apex of God's creation. We come to the apex of his bride. Now everything gets named. Name it. Amen. We know who the whore is. She's that prostitute Catholic church. We know who her daughters is. It's her denominational daughters. Amen. Come on. We know who the false prophet is. It's the Pope. Amen. Speaking blasphemy. I can read it to you in the Bible. Turn with me to Revelation 13. Let's just read. Let's just read just a little bit. I just feel to go here just a minute. Take me a little longer, but it's okay. We'll stop along the way. Revelation 13. Let's see if we know what we're talking about. Verse 1. And I stood upon the sand of the sea, and I saw beasts rising out of the sea, which we know is multitudes and nations and tribes of people. We know this by the symbology of the book. Having seven heads and ten horns, and upon the horns ten crowns, and upon the heads the names of blasphemy. And where do we get names of blasphemy? The Bible talks about it later in the book of Revelation. Blasphemous names. Because for the church to call herself after anything but Jesus Christ is a name of blasphemy. Our identity is Christ, not the mother church. So to call ourselves Catholic after Jesus paid the price would be a name of blasphemy. Let's go to the next verse. And the beast which I saw was like unto a leopard. His feet was as the feet of a bear. His mouth is the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave him power and his seat and his authority. So his seat and his power and his authority comes from the devil. This is not from God. And I saw one of his heads as it was wounded unto death. And his deadly wound was healed. And all the world wondered after the beast. Now we come down to a point where that the beast, pagan Rome, it, it, it comes down and, and gets a deadly wound. And it rises as papal Rome. And all the world is wondering after the beast. 
Who does our presidents bow down to? To the first Pentecostal church? To, to the Baptist churches? To the fundamentals? Or to Rome? And they worship the beast which gave power unto him and they worship the beast saying, who is like unto the beast and who is able to make war with him? And there was given unto him a mouth speaking great things and blasphemy and the power was given to him to continue for four, 40 and two months which is exactly three and a half years during the tribulation period. And he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God. Now watch this. It's against God because he changes him from one to three. That's blasphemy. And to blaspheme his name by turning it into titles instead of the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'll tell you, that's blaspheming his name. And then blaspheming his tabernacle because the tabernacle is to be the church, the body of Christ. And they make Rome the tabernacle. One more part. And them that dwell in heaven, they took the very apostles and made them saints to be worshipped. But we come down in the last day when the mysteries are revealed. We know who the beast is, the antichrist. We know Satan's work. We know his, what, what he's done to present to the world another Jesus. That according to Paul, that he'll sit in the temple of God being worshipped as God. It will be a time of a great delusion. Now, so you see, there, there was, in the days of Adam, he spoke. He was the offspring of God, the apex of God. He, he was the manifestation of all, all of the smaller uh, organism until God's manifested in a man. The offspring of God. The God of the earth, Adam. And he names them. He speaks. Let's go to another. Let's go down to, to this time of the Exodus. And again, it was a space of 400 and something years. They had reached the end. The end of their time in Egypt's bondage. And it was a time of the Exodus. And Moses spoke. And plagues fall, fell on Satan's kingdom. And we are at another exodus. Amen. It was when he spoke. When God said to him at the Red Sea, Quit crying unto me and speak. You call. You call to the west, to the east wind and the west wind. You call them to come and open up a Red Sea. You use the word and speak it. You see, Moses was commissioned to speak. Amen. Then there come the time where Moses was told, speak to the rock so that water would come forth. The rock represented Christ from who gives life-giving water for the thirsty soul. And God told him, now, you've already smitten the rock. This time I want you to speak to the rock. And why was that? The rock represented Christ. It was symbolic of Christ. The Bible said in, in, in 1 Corinthians 10, this rock was Christ. And he was smitten and wounded for our transgression. 
And he doesn't have to be smoked again. Amen. All that he requires for you to do is speak to him. Amen. You're now commissioned to speak. You got a need. You need life. You need help. You speak to the rock. Amen. Now, so again, you see the water is, a, is a representative of that spiritual drink of God's word. And God's word, you know, instruction word, take the rod, which is symbol of authority and rule, and our rod is the name of Jesus. Amen. But we're not to take the rod and strike him. We're to take the rod, the name of Jesus, and speak. Amen. Amen. Now I want you to notice what Moses did. Moses went up to the rock. He told him, gather the people. Come to the rock. Gather the people. Take the rod and speak to the rock. And Moses, instead of speaking to the rock, spoke to the problem. And he said, he said to the problem, you rebels. And the Bible said he did it out of anger because the spirit was troubled. And this is a mistake that so many of us make in a moment of trial. When we're told to speak to the rock, we speak to the problem. We speak about our trouble. Come on now. Amen, like Moses did. You rebel. You rebel. Must I bring water out of this rock? And he smote it. And nothing came out of it. He smites it again. Now what's he doing? He's breaking the types. Because it was only to be smoked and was smitten once. Amen. Come on, church. We don't have to have Christ crucified again and him to go through suffering again. He suffered once and for all. All we got to do is speak to him. But you can't speak to your problem and speak to him. Amen. And speaking to your problem and speaking about your trouble. Come on. Amen. Talking about the wowsy, wowsy woos and why things are going on and the troubles that you're in and all this is a day of, of sorrow and problems. and what. This is a day we can speak to the rock where we have been commissioned to speak. Not to the trouble. Well, my kids, I don't know if they'll ever serve the Lord. Shame on you. Well, my husband, he's, he's, a, he's a bad man. Don't you speak that anymore. You start saying, in the name of Jesus, you're going to save my husband. Amen. You're going to set him free. You're going to make a man of God out of him. Amen. You're going to turn the tides for me and my family. Amen. You know, don't don't speak about the problem. Speak about the solution. And the solution is use the name of Jesus to call water, life-giving water out of Christ to you for your situation. Hallelujah. Now, I don't have time for a lot of this. We get stirred up sometimes about our kids. Well, our kids, they're just going to be foolish virgins. No, don't say that. No, you say, well, I'll tell you what, there's some people just going to be foolish virgins. Well, it's not my kids. Well, everybody, everybody of the bride, their kids ain't going to make it. Well, that's not my message. 
That's not what I believe. You say, well, that's the way it is. It may be for you, but it ain't for me. The I will be there and my offspring's with me. I ain't leaving a hope behind. And I ain't preaching some message that's telling you your kids are going to be in the tribulation. I'm telling you, they're going to be in the rapture with you. They're going to escape. Quit believing that. Quit speaking that. Don't speak that over your kids. Speak the promise. Hey, Amen. My kids are going to make it. Hallelujah. My kids are going to be there. The promise is mine. There's not going to be one of them left behind. Amen. That's what I've spoke since I was a young boy and it's manifested. And it's manifested itself right in front of you. Amen. What is it? They're, they're there. They're walking in step with this word. We get stirred up about our finances and get provoked in our spirit and say, well, I'll never have nothing. I'll never get out of debt. Don't speak about that. Speak about the rock. How great the rock is. But you don't know how long I've suffered with this disease, Brother Tim. And I've been prayed for time after time. Quit looking at the negative and begin to speak to your rock. Amen. True life giving water comes out of that rock. But it's a great mountain, yeah, but before me it's going to become a plain. Because I'm speaking grace, grace. I'm speaking God's favor upon it. I'm speaking what God's word said. I'm commissioned to speak. It's a time of hearing him. Hallelujah. And there's somebody else that can say that. That's me, God. That's my word. That's my promise. That's for me. Amen. Hallelujah. Joshua in the conquest of Jerusalem, when the silence was broken, remember there was silence. They marched around for six days, come to the seventh day, still silent. But then the silence got broken with a shout. Hallelujah. When they shouted, amen, when they spoke, the walls fell down. And you have been commissioned to speak to your walls that they come down. Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you will become a plain. Joshua spoke to the sun and the moon. No human in his right mind would speak to the sun and the moon. But this man had unleft his mind and got into the mind of Christ. He was walking in a supernatural realm. And he began to speak to something that he thought... That man would think I have no control over. I have no power over this. I'm trying to tell you there is nothing impossible with you. Amen. There is nothing that you can't control by using God's word. Amen. You got to speak to your mountain. You got to speak the word. What about the new covenant? Well, I'll tell you what. Jesus spoke to diseases, and those demons obeyed him. He spoke to winds and waves, and they obeyed him. Come on, he knew, he knew who he was, and he took dominion over everything. 
Amen. Every spirit is under my control for the glory of God. Amen. Jesus spoke to the insane, the bipolar legion. Who, and, and what happened? The devils had to acknowledge that he was the son of God. Had to acknowledge his position. And do what he said. What Jesus said they had to do. Amen. Jesus spoke to the dead and the dead raised. He spoke to the widow's son at Nain and said, Son, I say unto you, arise. Jesus spoke to Lazarus, a man dead, four days. Amen. And called and said, Lazarus, come forth. Amen. Notice the, the centurion. He understood this principle even better than the Jews did. He said, I'm not worthy for you to come unto my house and heal my servant. I'm a man under authority. Of authority, and he said, If I speak to, to this one, they do what I say. If I send troops here, they do what I say. All I'm gonna do is ask you, Don't even come to my house. You don't even have to be physically there. All I need you to speak the word, and my servant will be healed. Amen. I'm trying to tell you there's power in the spoken word. But say in a word that then my servant shall be healed. But speak the word only. And Jesus said, I haven't seen faith like this in all of Israel. Amen. And he turned to him and said, if you believe, so be it unto you. Jesus would walk by a fig tree and curse it because it had no fruit. He spoke to the life of the fig tree and cursed it, and it withered. Notice what it said. He spoke to the life. He cursed the life. That was Jesus. He spoke to the life of cancers and cursed them. He spoke to the life of a choked string that was on the nerve of the deaf and rebuked that devil that it put a string around that nerve and choked it off and rebuked it and life went right back down into the ear for hearing. That's the power of the word. Are you with me? That was Jesus. You say, oh yeah, brother Tim, that was Jesus. He was God, he can do it. God came in Jesus Let me tell you, he laid aside his God powers for the sake of man. In order to be a faithful high priest, he went through temptations. I'm talking about God. Would do it in a man. He did it as a man, laying aside his reputation as God. He humbled himself and lowered himself to becoming human. And laid aside his God powers to show us as humans who who have gone through a new birth and are now possesses life that we can also use his words in our mouth to defeat the devil. Hallelujah. Let me tell you, that's what God wants to do. Amen. He wants to have you rule Satan by your words. Amen. By you taking the word and speaking his word. Is somebody with me? In Matthew 4 and, and Luke 4, Jesus defeats the devil in an hour of temptation in the only way that a man can defeat the devil and that's by the word of God. 
the word that God spoke and anointing it with faith by speaking it. Amen. It defeated the devil. The written word, listen. Brother Branham would say this, the word of God, the written word of God will defeat Satan anywhere, any place, anytime it's written. There it is. He says, everybody wouldn't have gifts. Jesus brought it down to a place where those who do not have gifts to those that don't have very much faith could just say, it is written. There it is, and then stand on that. And he said, a seed planted will bring forth what is planted. Corn will bring forth corn. Barley will bring forth barley. And the word will bring forth the word. Come on, if you sow the word of God, every promise will bring forth of its kind. Amen. And he said, I say this with a challenge of faith that every promise of God will be brought to pass if you'll take the right mental attitude toward it. Now, the right mental attitude, meaning we don't look at it as historical. We look at him as the I am, the present God. One that has been raised up out of history, not just a historical Christ. Look at Jesus. Listen to me a moment. Jesus had every gift at his disposal. But Jesus shows us that by speaking the word, it takes preeminence over gifts. You know, what is greater? I'm going to ask you a question. What is greater? The gift or the word who gave it? Is that right? I mean, come on, we we wait sometimes. Well, I don't have the gift of faith. I don't have the gift of healing. I don't have the gift of miracles. We wait on to find somebody with that gift of miracles to bring that miracle. God said, Jesus was showing here, you don't have to wait on the gift of miracles. I gave you my word. Where you as the weakest Christian can use the word and it'll defeat the devil anywhere, any place, anytime because you are commissioned to speak the word. This is my bride. Hear her. She's got the word. Jesus had every gift at his disposal. But Jesus shows us that speaking the word takes preeminence over gifts. Like I said, what is greater? A gift of God or God himself, the word? Now, I'm going to come down to something. Everybody doesn't have a gift. Now, we all have the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's the Holy Ghost. Come on. But everybody doesn't have a gift. Amen. Now, Jesus, Jesus shows us though so you don't need a gift to defeat the devil. You need the word to defeat the devil. Now, let's look at, on, at something naturally just a moment. Does every person have the gift of singing? No. Everybody don't have the gift of singing. Does everybody have the gift of memory? No. 
Everybody doesn't have a great memory as a gift. There's some people can memorize the whole Bible. Rattle it off. Don't save them, but they can remember it. Let me just ask you about your own self. Look at your finger for a moment. Does your finger have the sense of taste? Can your tongue hear? Can your nose see? Why not? It's all a part of the body. You say, well, I'm a part of the body, and why don't I, why don't I have uh, uh, this gift or that gift? And Because I, I, I'm a part of the body. Well, let's just go to the Bible just for a moment. 1 Corinthians 12, 11. But all these worketh that one and the self-same spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. So God divides the workings of his spirit or the gifts of the Holy Ghost to every man as he wills. So they're predestined. That's right. And you'll never be nothing that you ain't. If you're a finger, you don't have smelling. And some things, you know, like taste, the tongue can taste and feel. It has more than one gift. And some people have more than one gift. We all have one great gift, that's the Holy Ghost. And with him comes his word, because he is the word. But all of us don't have gifts. They're in the body, but all of us don't have them. There are nine spiritual gifts, right? Let's look here just for a moment. 1 Corinthians 12 and 8. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom. To another, not to the same person, but to another, the word of knowledge by the same Spirit. To another, to a different person, faith by the same Spirit, a gift of great faith. To another, gifts of healing by the same Spirit. To another, working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, discerning of the spirits. To another, diverse kinds of tongues. To another, interpretation of tongues. Now, Paul never indicated that every Christian has every gift. He said, this among believers. This is among believers. You got organs in your body, like I, like I talk about, like your, your liver. It's an unseen part, but it's a very vital part. It cannot smell, see, taste, or hear. But it has a gift of life. All of you being Christians have the gift of life by the Holy Ghost. But you may not have all the gifts of the Spirit. You may not even have one of them. Now, I'm going to show you this in the Bible. In 1 Corinthians 12, 27. Now you are the body of Christ... And members in particular. So you're all a particular members. Each one of you have a function. And God has said in the church, first apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, governments, diversities of tongues. So he put all of this in the body. Just like in your body, you see, taste, smell, feel, and hear. There's all kinds of organs. They all for different functions. Verse 29. Now then, we're coming down. But are all apostles? I need some class participation. No. Are all prophets? 
No. Are all teachers? No. Are all workers of miracles? No. Do all have gifts of healing? No. Do all speak with tongues? No. Do all interpret? No. So everybody doesn't possess every one of these things. But the body of Christ does. These are in the body. Somebody with me now. But one thing we all have is his life. And he is the word. Amen. Come on now. I want you to get this. Now, you see, they, they started drifting in the early church when they started losing their first love. A step away from the word was a step away from Christ. By the dark ages, wow, they didn't even know to immerse anymore. They didn't even know the baptism in Jesus. They didn't even know there was one God anymore. There were, there were so many things they had lost. And God knew that man originally got away from God was by first leaving the word because if you leave that word, you leave God. So the church began to drift. Now, here's what Brother Branham says. If you want deity in your midst, then welcome and receive the word. Don't let anybody or anything get between you and that word. This is what I'm giving to you. The word is a revelation of myself. I am the word. And he says, I wonder if we're sufficiently impressed with the word in our midst. Now we get, we get impressed because of this gift or that gift. Or this, and we get them, but are we impressed with the word? So let me give you a thought here. How do we pray? We pray in Jesus' name, don't we? Ever prayers in his name or there is no answer. Yet 1 John 5, 14, we're told this is the confidence we have in him that if we ask him anything according to his will, he heareth us. And if we know that he hears us whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desire of him. Now we ask, what is the will of God? There's only one way to know his will, and that is by the word of God. Who is he that saith, and it cometh to pass when the Lord commandeth it not? There it is. If it isn't the word, you can't have it. But healing's in the Word. Deliverance is in the Word. The Holy Ghost is in the Word. Come on, all these things in the Word. See, you can ask for these things because it's in the Word. Amen. There it is. Jesus, the name is the Word, the will. Amen. You can't separate God and His Word. Now, this Word He left behind on pretty page is a part of him when you accept it by faith into a spirit-filled life. He said his word was life. John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Romans 8 and 9, if a man have not the spirit of Christ, he's none of his. There it is, he's spirit, he's life. That's exactly what the word is. That's exactly what Jesus is. He is the word, and so when a spirit-born Spirit-filled man in faith takes the word into his heart and places it upon his lips. Why, that is the same as deity speaking. Every mountain has to go. Amen. Satan cannot stand before that man. 
Hallelujah. Oh, friends, what are you waiting on? Amen. God's waiting on you. Take the word that you have eaten and digested and prophesy. Speak it. Say it. This is the way it will be. Speak it in his name. Are you with me now? Amen. Now, he says, when the church returns to the word in faith, we can say without a doubt the glory of God and the wonderful acts of God will be in her midst again. So God's looking for somebody to return to the word in faith. I'm talking to that people here today. Amen. Now let me just use William Branham for an example. He was given a gift of healing and the working of miracles. Now, I just met a lady the other day in Florida. She came up to me and said, Brother Tim, I've been wanting to meet you. I've heard, heard about you minister in different places. I was at your home when, I, when you was a young boy. said, my name is Sister Anderson. I was the wife of Brother Billy Anderson. And she said, um, I want to tell you something. said, it, I was five years old and I was in William Branham's meetings. I was taken there by my parents because they had taken me to the doctor. And the doctor had evaluated my a mental capacity and said that I did not have the mental capacity to even attend school. I could not function as a child. I had no mental capacity for school at all to learn. I had a terrible learning disability. And the doctor said to her, said, your, your daughter, as far as medical science, is hopeless. This is the year 1946. Said she is hopeless, hopeless. Said, but as far as medical science, but I, I don't know what church that you go to. Said, but if I were you, I would take her to a church that believed in faith and have this child prayed for. And her parents spoke to him and said, well, we are United Pentecostal. And he said, that's good. Said, they believe in healing. Take your child and have it prayed for. There's no hope for her to ever be able to attend school. Now, this is going to help you. You're dealing with a mental condition in your family, in your child, in your, you know, I don't care what it is. God's still God. They took little, the little sister, they took the little girl um, over the herd in De Quincey, Louisiana, that William Branham was there praying for the sick, said we did not know he was a prophet of God. But we went to his meeting because he prayed for the sick. And I got a prayer card and we went to the line. And God healed me and I was able to attend school and, 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 and learn because God healed me. And I said, that's wonderful. She said, well, let me tell you of another. Said, and said something that was greater to me than my own healing because she couldn't remember as a five-year-old what really happened to her. But she saw this. She said, it was in 1956 that my grandfather fell down with a heart attack. It was so severe, the doctor said the man will not live and uh, keep his feet propped up where that his heart can pump what fluid is on his, there we give him up to die, you know, and send him home to die. Well, her parents looked at one another and said, if God can give back the mind of our baby, God can heal our, our, our daddy. 
So they gathered him up in a car and they took him over to Meridian, Mississippi. And to, while they were there in Meridian, Mississippi, they got there again. Um, some men came out and got, got the, the grandpa and folded their hands like this and made a chair and took him in, laid him on a cot. And he was there in the meetings. And his brother Branham preached at the end of his service. He, 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 he was calling out different ones. As you know, he had a gift that never missed. It wasn't 99% true. It was 100%. It was the word of God. And so he, he, call, he, he looks down at this man on the cot and he said, you sir on the cot, do you believe me to be God's prophet? And he, he raised up, the man raised up his head and looked to see if he was the one Brother Branham was talking to and the power of God hit him and he jumped up off of that cot never to return again and lived a long healthy life. Amen. Because God heals. Are you with me? But you know, because William Branham had been visited by an angel who commissioned him to take a gift of divine healing. Now, when you, when you talk about Oral Roberts, when you talk about the T.L. Um, uh, Osborne, you talk about Jack Coe, they, all of these men got their inspiration from this man, William Branham. It happened when he met an angel. And this angel came to him and told him about his mysterious life and, and told him he was called and ordained to pray for the sick people. And, 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 um, and he told him of the signs that he would have. And after he had seen many hundreds of just impossible cases. Now, I am talking about impossible cases. You hear Brother Biscoe talk about it where Brother Branham prayed for the blind boy and and, and prayed for him, and prayed for him again. He thought, oh, this is like all the other evangelists. And he pulled him up to himself, and he said, Lord God, I was commissioned by an angel to bring a divine healing to your people. And he, this time he just spins him around, and the boy, his eyes popped right open, could see. That's Brother Bisco's testimony. He was there. But anyway, being convinced that God wanted to heal and delivered, he started even seeing miracles happen. And he would begin to say, bring me your hardest cases. And I'll guarantee you, God will heal them before I even finish praying. And it was in Phoenix in 1947, in front of a Spanish-speaking group, he made this claim. And somebody brought up a Mexican girl who was hideously crippled. She had never walked in her life. She's horribly deformed. Her back was haunched way over. Her legs were shriveled and useless. And they brought her up to be the first one for Brother Branham to pray for her. And without flinching, he began to pray. He'd already seen God move. This was nothing to his God. And he prayed five minutes. And five minutes went into 10. 10 went into 30 minutes. Not worried at all. He just kept praying that God would deliver this girl from this prison. An hour went by and the crowd grew restless. Finally, after an hour and 45 minutes, the little Mexican girl screamed out and her back popped as she straightened her spine for the first time in her life. 
And there the audience went wild with relief and excitement as this once crippled girl stood to her feet on those spindly little legs and walked for the first time in her life, freed from her prison. And then for more than 10 hours after that, Brother Branham prayed for the sick with every kind of healing imaginable that took place till they actually picked up the wheelchairs and the crutches and everything else. Later that year in May, 1947, he was holding a tent meeting in Vandalia, Illinois. He made the challenge again. Bring me your worst case. The first one that was on the platform in that meeting was a boy that was born blind. I think this was the same boy that Billy Paul told about, didn't have any eyeballs. Billy was in this meeting. He was born blind without eyeballs. Born without them. Brother Bradham, as he looked at this young man, 15 years old, he looked at him and he said, what color eyes would you like to have? He said, I want blue eyes. This was a hard case, but not too hard for God. He's a creator. After an hour and a half later, the boy was still not healed. And then all of a sudden, right at about hour and 45 minutes later, this boy jerked and he let out a scream and looked around and said, it's those lights? And there, Billy Paul Witness said he had the prettiest set of blue eyeballs he'd ever seen in his life. After that boy was healed, people just jammed into the prayer line and for the next 10 hours, after seeing that miracle take place, there was one healing after another, after another, after another, after another. Great, great deliverances. Later that, later that, that, that evening, the boy asked his mother, said, will you take me back to that man who gave me my, back my sight, gave me those eyes. I want to give him thanks. And he walked up to Brother Branham and said, Thank you for healing me. And he said, I wanted to come and thank the man for healing me. And he said, son, one day I hope you get to, but I'm not him. Jesus Christ healed you. One day I do hope you get to meet him. Amen. But Jesus healed you. And he took up, he reached over to Brother Branham's tie. And he looked at it. And he fingered these stripes like this. And he says, are those stripes? Is this what they call stripes? And his mother broke out into tears as she began to thank God for giving her boy, a hopeless child, eyes. We're talking about our God. We're talking about his gifts that he placed in the body. Are you with me now? Now, but that night when Brother Branham laid down, it was about two o'clock in the morning. And he drifted off to sleep, Billy, and his brother Donnie was in the room with him. This is the night that Billy also saw the angel. You hear about his testimony, where he also saw the angel of the Lord. He was permitted to see him. The angel of the Lord came in the room. It came first as a light, then formed into a being standing there. 
And as he saw that light coming in there, he began to pray. He said, Heavenly Father, have you, what have you sent your angel for? What would you want me to know? And the angel spoke and said, you have been confining too much of that gift of healing to perform miracles. This is what the angel said. It will come to pass that people will not believe you unless there is a miracle performed. And Brother Branham right there said, I'll never do it again. I'll, I'll never do it again because, you see, the thought was we just show a mighty miracle and then everybody believe. But I just want to ask you, where would we be left today? Brother Benham's gone. He's not here with, his, with, his, with that miracle power to pray for you. And if it required that we get a miracle for you to start believing, where, what kind of mess would we be in? We would have to find a miracle worker. Is somebody with me? Amen. But so if he'd have continued that way, no one would have believed unless they saw a miracle. And without that gift, we would never see one. But he commissioned every believer. In my name you will speak. And when you speak, you will cast out devils. I give you my word. I put my word in your hands. I'm not just giving you a gift of miracle. I'm giving you myself. Amen. My own word. Where you can speak the word. You can speak any divine promise of God and it's yours. And you don't have to wait for a miracle worker to come to town or somebody with a gift. You've got the gift of the word of God. Now you are commissioned to speak it. Hallelujah. This is my beloved bride. Hear her. Amen. All of hell has to hear you when you speak. Amen. Creation has to hear. The God who can create an eyeball in a young boy, you say, oh, Brother Tim, that's impossible. Let me tell you, that's not impossible. One day Jesus took a a young man, a man who was born blind, and he had no eyeballs, and he took and he spit in his hand and took dirt and rolled out an eyeball and stuck it in his eye and said, now go wash. If he's a creator one time, he's a creator another time. If he was a healer then, he's a healer now. If he was a savior then, he's a savior now. If his word was true then, his word is true now. If it had power when Jesus spoke it, it has power when you take the written word and speak it. I say to you this morning, Who is that great mountain before you? It shall become a plain. Because he's bringing forth the headstone. He's bringing forth the bride in this day. Amen. Who is saying grace. Grace. It's God's favor upon his people. He's here the same miracle worker. The same healer. The same deliverer. I say unto you. He that believeth on me, the works that I do, shall you do also. And greater than these shall you do. 
because I'll go to my Father. And anything that you ask, that's speaking in my name that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And anything you speak, ask in my name, I will do it. Your commission to speak. Quit speaking the problem. Start speaking the promise. You sin when you speak the problem. It displeases God when you speak the problem. Speak the word. It's been given to you. It's been opened for you. It's for you to eat and digest and now prophesy. You say, that don't happen no more. Oh, yes, it does. When we needed money to go to Japan, what happened? I stood right there and I said, no, God will give you. God will give us $10,000. He'll write a check for $10,000. Give you money to go on. Amen. What did God do? He backed up his word. It's time that we realize, friends, that this is the masterpiece Amen, and you're it. And it's time for you to speak the word against your mountain. Your mountain's got to hear your voice. You've got to speak it. It won't be him speaking anymore. It'll be him speaking through you. Using your lips. Let's see if it's true. One more scripture. Matthew 21, 20. The fig tree. He spoke to a fig tree. Who would ever think of talking to a tree? But Jesus did. And he spoke to the life in it. He said, no one will eat from you from this day on. And the disciples saw it. The next day, they marveled saying, how soon is the fig tree withered away? Jesus said to them, now they're marveling over this, about how Jesus said it, and it worked, and it came to pass. And Jesus turned to them and said, verily I say to you, if you have faith and doubt not, you shall not only do this, which is done to the fig tree, but also if you shall say to this mountain, Be thou removed and be cast into the sea. It shall be done. If you will say. God's waiting on you. It's your turn to speak. 2,000 years ago, he spoke. Now it's your turn. Take the same word against your enemy. Speak it. Speak to the rock. Out of it will come life-giving waters. Amen. Oh my, I've got a lot more I could preach, but if we're out of time, stand to your feet this morning. Amen. Let the musicians come now. But think about what we preached about this morning. It's time for you to speak. It's your turn to speak. But don't speak your problem. Speak the solution. Speak to the mountain and say, move. This mountain's got to move. Now, you know the mountains in your life. 
Now look, church. Look, church. God made it word that every preacher who's called to preach, who's sent of God to preach, go into all the world and preach the gospel, demonstrate the gospel, he has the signs that follows them that believe. Amen. Every preacher doesn't have the gifts of miracles. Come on. But we don't need to just have that. That's, that's, that's wonderful if God gives it. But we don't just, we're not required to have that. We've got his word. And if you've got his word, then all the power of God lays in that word. Now take that promise, eat it, and speak it. Say to your mountain. Let's bow our heads together. Jesus, somehow, Lord, today I've tried to preach faith into your people. I've tried to show them positionally where we're at in time. I tried to show them that we're right here in the fulfillment of prophecy. We're here at the last day where a people will be heard. Lord, we believe. That's who we are. We're believers. And you said I'm going away, and it won't be me that will pray for you, because as a man, he would go away, but you would pray to the Father. This is Bible, and he will hear you because he loves you. Lord, may there be those today realize Jesus doesn't have to come from the heaven to speak for them. They can speak today to their mountain. And I've used the word today to show them that they can move their mountains. That there's mountain moving faith because there's the word of God that'll move a mountain. That no devil, not even Lucifer himself, could stand before Jesus when he never even used his God powers, he just used the word. when we take the word upon our lips it is the same as deity speaking every mountain has to go Satan cannot stand before that man And Satan you cannot stand I address you now you cannot stand Satan before the children of the living God and I have showed him the word where that the kinsman avenger is on your trail And you're about to get payback. And right now today, I stand here as a son of God who's been commissioned to speak. And I speak life and health and strength and the power of my Christ into God's people today. That they can rise. Oh God, I I have not called them rebels. I have not pointed out their faults. I have not spoken negative. I have spoken the blessing. And I bless them in your name right now. I bless them that they rise above over that that trouble in their life. They rise above that sickness in their body. That they rise up in faith on eagle's wings. That they believe today. The healing can come in Jesus' name. 
Amen. And amen. Will you just worship him just a moment? Come on. Just worship him. Just tell him, Lord, whatever you said I'll do. If you told me to speak, I'm going to start speaking. You showed me the example. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Come on. Worship him now. Give him praise. Give him glory. He's doing great things. Speak his grace now. Speak his favor. His favor. I'm going to speak it right now of your life. He never told Moses, call them rebels. He told them to speak this blessing. The Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. And they, the priesthood, shall put my name upon the children of Israel and I will bless them. Today I bless you in the name of Jesus Christ. I bless you with healing. I bless you with deliverance. I bless you with peace. His countenance is shining now upon you. Accept it right now in the name of Jesus. Amen. Love him with all your heart. Amen. Just tell him, I love you, Jesus. I love you, Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. Come on. This is what Mary said. My soul does magnify the Lord. Amen for His grace that He's poured out upon His people. Amen. Oh, you've been visited here by an angel. You have received visitations from heaven. You've received the blessings of God right into this generation and time. Now respond back to humankind and say, I love you, Lord, with all my heart. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I love you, Lord. I thank you, Lord. I glorify your name for your worthy. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. It was, it's the word that's got to be spoke. Amen. You're not, come on, quit waiting on the miracle. The miracle's in the word. Just start right now believing with all of your heart. And say, Lord, I believe. All things are possible to those that believe. Jesus' name. Glory to God. Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Let's sing that song, I love him because he first loved me. And just worship him a moment. Just worship him a moment. I love him. Everybody just say, I love you, Jesus. Can you raise your hands now? Your lover, your bridegroom. I love 
your smile. 